0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to explore a special topic. As you know, from one week to the next, we engage these special topics. And, and by special topic, what I mean there is simply any topic that you ask me about within reason, of course. And so we have talked about pretty much any major apologetic topic under the sun, huh? But we have also talked about a great number of other things. And certainly from time to time, we get into maybe dynamics that involve how we relate to to one another, how we talk to one another. And so what I wanted to do today, what I wanted to do this evening, is engage that. Uh, This past week, I got into a conversation about how we ought to approach one another in conversation, and certainly to some degree I have talked about some of this before, but there's other elements that I wanted to talk about Um, because specifically, my friends, we have this call in our conversations to strike that balance of being gentle and at the same time firm, Uh, gentle when needed and firm when needed. No doubt, you know this conversation that i was in had the backdrop of the many opinions about donald trump and so as i was in this conversation and in talking about donald trump i came across a piece from monsignor pope the popular monsignor pope you can find his pieces his articles on newadvent.org um i came across this piece that i thought really hit the nail on the head and was very much about what i had been talking about in my conversations and uh, and the piece was titled, A Biblical Understanding of Colorful and Harsh Language and What That Means. So what I wanted to do this evening is touch upon Monsignor Pope's article reflecting into the importance of this relationship between being gentle and being firm, being, being tough but being tender, if you will, okay? Because uh, on, on one hand, yeah, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord warns of using uncivil and or hateful words such as fool or uh, raka. What does raka mean? Uh, Empty-headed, stupid, inferior. Uh, He warns against using such language. And yet, and yet, my friends, at the same time, (laughs) the Lord Jesus himself, we read in sacred scripture, uses such strong language, calling his opponents' names, uh, such names as vipers and hypocrites. You know, what gives there? First, I think we ought to offer up a word about civility, as Monsignor Pope does. What does this word mean? The word itself dates back to the mid-16th century and really has an older meaning that referred to one who possessed, we could say, the quality of having been schooled in the humanities. Uh, so in academic settings, debate, at least historically speaking, was governed by a tendency to be nuanced, a careful, cautious, formal, and, and certainly as I've talked before, trained in how to speak rhetoric. Its rules often include referring to one's opponents with honorary titles. Imagine that, <laughs> you know, having a civil conversation that involved honorary titles. And and by that, I mean calling someone doctor, professor, uh, and the like. By the way, historically, that's where those titles come from. There would be the use of those euphemisms like, uh, my worthy opponent. Now, as time passed, the word has entered into common usage. And it has come to mean simply speech or behavior that is polite. Uh, courteous, gentle, measured. Now, in saying this, in, in talking about what it means to be civil, maybe we ought to offer a word into what we mean by the use of the word humanities, humanities and culture specifically. Humanities is the study of linguistics, is the study of literature, is the study of History, jurisprudence, philosophy, theology, psychology, art, and the genius behind it. All those disciplines that make up culture. Culture is derived from the Latin cultus, which translates as what but worship or to till. So essentially, a culture is defined, my friends, by how it soils the ground it lives on and how it expresses itself in worship. They are, we could say, intertwined. In other words, a study in humanities will always reflect the nature of worship, for better or worse. Now, as it has been observed, you and I both know we live in a world of fragments. Fragments of truth, fragments of history, fragments of virtue, fragments of belief. The ties that once bound one person to another, history, faith, culture, these have been broken. And in its place, I think a strictly subjective understanding of humanities has arisen in what Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI called an anti-culture, which is really a mass culture that works against a human person becoming who God intended him to be and against people living together as God intended them to live. Hmm. Now, all that being said, as one might guess, there are a lot of cultural uh, variances in what is considered to be civil. And this insight, I think, is very important when we look at the biblical data on what constituted civil discourse, because, as uh, Monsignor Pope notes in his piece, the biblical world was far less dainty about discourse than we have become in the 21st century, in particular in, in the United States of America. The scriptures counsel, yes, gentleness and civility, but also a firmness, a toughness that that can even dust it up with someone, so to speak. All right, so let's get into the heart of this. Let's get into some of these passages, considering a few of these texts on the side of civility. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, Paul says but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. James chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, My brothers, this should not be. James chapter 1, verse 19 Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Paul writing to the church of Colossia, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Certainly, when you read Paul and you read James, these verses, these words are but an echo of what Jesus is talking about in the Gospel of Matthew when he says, do not call anyone a fool or raka, right? Empty-headed, inferior, stupid. Certainly, all of these texts that I'm engaging are texts that counsel a measured, charitable, and really edifying discourse. We have talked a great deal about First Peter 3.15. Give reasons for the hope that is inside of you, but do so in what are those virtues gentleness and reverence. Yeah, Peter is echoing James and and Paul as well as Jesus himself. Why? Because the virtues that these great evangelists talk about and what lies at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is that these are the virtues that help build the bridge by which truth itself shall pass. Now, There are also strong contrasts to this instruction evident in the Bible. And a lot of it comes from the most unlikely source, Jesus himself. How about Matthew 12, verse 34? You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? How about Matthew 23? Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. What does he call them? But snakes, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? I mean, (laughs) listen to what Jesus is saying there. John echoes this in chapter 8, verses 42 to 47. If God were your father, he says, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. You belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desire he who belongs to God hears what God says the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God I mean these are some really strong words from Jesus himself in Mark chapter 9 verse 19 oh faithless generation Jesus says how long am I to be with you how long must I tolerate you Wow, did Jesus just say, how long must I tolerate you? That comes off as incredibly intolerant, does it not? Paul has some strong words. Oh, senseless Galatians, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? As for those circumcisers, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Goodness! Peter speaking to dissenters bold and arrogant these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand they are like brute beasts creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed and like beasts they too will perish of them the proverbs are true a dog returns to its vomit a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud Goodness gracious to our modern ears <laughs> yeah these passages violate today's norms about civil discourse but the question before us is quite simply this are they sinful no they're god's word to the degree that this anger is just Far too often, we justify our anger, and yet that anger gets the best of us. Brothers and sisters, we can get into a long theological and uh, philosophical reflection about this, but let me distill this. If (laughs) your anger that you call just is getting the best of you, and by that, I mean having you carry on in these Uh, conversations, these mental conversations for minutes upon minutes and hours upon hours where you find yourself just talking to yourself and you can no longer be present to other. You've closed yourself off. That is not just anger. Something that we have to appreciate here is that just anger always communicates itself for the sake of truth, right? Jesus is calling these men what he calls them, you brood of vipers, and by doing so identifies the truth for what it is. Jesus, when he withdraws in the gospel, does not withdraw for the sake of having a a conversation with himself where he's just going off on these Pharisees and Sadducees of the Sanhedrin, where if you were to look at him on top of a mountain He'd be pointing his finger at these Pharisees and Sadducees. No. He is entering into the virtue of recollection. And he's having that interior conversation with God. Asking God, what is the meaning of this moment? Why is it so? What do you want me to tell these members of the Sanhedrin? And so what does he do? He goes down into the temple And he tells them what God thinks of them. Why? For the sake of their salvation. This is what lies at the heart of the call to admonish, right? And sometimes, yeah, it's going to come through in a very firm and tough way. But that does not mean it is wrong. This might blow our 21st century mind, but that is the truth. That is what scripture counsels. I want to suggest to you, my friends, that these sorts of quotes go a long way towards illustrating the cultural dimension of what it means to be civil. And what I believe to be a very important point made by Monsignor Pope is that there is a great deal of variability when people consider civil discourse. Uh, What does he mean? Well, in some cultures, there is a greater tolerance for what we're talking about here, some of this language. For example, in, in New York and Boston, you know, edgy comments and, and passionate, interruptive debate are common. But in the upper Midwest, maybe, and other parts of the country, conversation might be found to be more gentle, more reserved. Huh? At the time of Jesus, angry discourse was apparently more normal. For as we see, again, Jesus himself engages in a lot of it, even calling people names like hypocrites, brood of vipers, liars, wicked. Yet the same scriptures that record these facts about Jesus also teach us that he never sinned. And we just have to enter into that dynamic. You know, I have a good friend of mine who says, well, Joe, you you always have to listen to the other side of the, of the conversation. And that's a very important point. He counseled me that, and I said, it was something I needed to hear about 10 years ago for sure. Because in the end, uh, once we hear the other side, then we can get inside that conversation and have the conversation needed. Now, as we're talking about Jesus and, and his quote-unquote name-calling, what we are not saying is that it is okay to call someone who, who you think is, is not living up to, this, up to standard a snake or a hypocrite, because Jesus does counsel us otherwise, right? We do not live then, we do live now. And in our culture, such dialogue is almost never acceptable, I do think there are cultural norms, and Monsignor Pope highlights this, that we have to respect to remain in, in the realm of charity. But exactly how to define, define civility in every instance is, is not always clear, I, I think. And, and this is why we have to stay in that mode of discernment. Discernment is a word that means coming to understand. We have to stay in the presence of God and in that constant mindset of discerning so as to better come to understand how God wants us to engage our brother and sister in Christ. We hear that phrase, I know it when I see it. When we enter into that mode of discernment, when we walk in the presence of God, God will reveal to you how you need to handle a situation, whether it be tough or tender, firm or gentle. On another hand, and and I think this is very important, we should be less thin-skinned and hypersensitive about everything that is said. And I think this really gets to the heart of the conversation I was having with this particular friend of mine uh, this past week, right? We should not be so easily outraged at blunt language if that language is speaking some truth. Y- you know, we, we have this tendency to take offense when the intent was never to offend, We presume the mere act of disagreeing is is somehow arrogant, intentionally hurtful, or even hateful. Why is it that we are so easily provoked and so quick to be offended? That's an important question we have to ask. Because if it's in the name of truth, then, then please, yeah, sure, be offended. But if you're going to, make sure that you have the truth. But I would counsel not to be offended because I don't always think that's the case, that people are out to intentionally offend. Does this not escalate anger further where accusations are launched back and forth? Remember what we were talking about earlier when reflecting upon what it means to be civil that definition of civility is tied to uh, what it means to argue. The word argue comes from, or argument comes from the Latin argumentum. It's a word that simply translates as making a case for. It was never tied to this emotional, angry, temper-filled back and forth, punch-counterpunch. No, because an argument was always what but civil. I mean, imagine being in an argument about, say, Donald Trump and using honorary titles. What would that look like? It's hard for you even to imagine that. And yet that is the very thing that was going on five, six, seven hundred years ago. Oh, the day where we can have civil arguments. The day where we can actually listen to one another. The day where we can make ourselves vulnerable, making the secret judgment of our hearts unknown. Because we do not know as much as we think we know and what the other person who is talking needs to hear until we actually hear what they have to say. Ah, yes. Then, and only then, can we respond as we ought. You see, my friends, one of the great tragedies in our conversations, just not about Trump, but about religion, is that we think we have all the answers. Truth is so great. Truth is so vast. What did St. Thomas Aquinas say? The more I come to know, the more I realize how little I know. How true is that truth? It's the great truism of truth itself. (laughs) St. Thomas Aquinas. We do not have all the answers. And as much as we think we know what the person on the other side needs to hear, we can only properly respond if we first listen. If we are civil, then and only then can an argument in its more classical sense proceed. Boy, howdy, I tell you, <laughs> if, if we can capture this point, capture this truth, being tough and tender, being firm and gentle, wouldn't be such a big deal. Yes, maybe some politicians should come off as so dominating or domineering. But the reality is, so do we. So let us just have the conversations we need to have and be more civil about it. My friends, scriptures give us a balanced reminder, two balanced reminders. First, that we should speak the truth in love and with compassion and understanding. But it also portrays to us a time when people had thicker skin and were less sensitive and anxious in the presence of disagreement. We can learn from both biblical traditions. That's what lies at the heart of Monsignor Pope's peace. Maybe we could say that the biblical formula seems to be uh, clarity with charity or charity with clarity. And this is always beautiful. Anytime clarity is involved... There is beauty. In fact, the word clarity comes from the Latin claritas, what is beautiful. So in the end, as we wrap up a reflection for this evening, I have a challenge for you. As I put this same challenge before me, if you wish to speak better, listen more. If you wish to better understand what it means to have the dialogue that needs to be had, Make sure that you're rooted in the biblical tradition that speaks to both sides. Mindful that, you know, in the end, being human is sometimes very messy and very chaotic. And if we are going to clean that messiness and chaos up, we can only do so with civility. The moment you say, well, I don't act that way, Check yourself, as the good Lord reminds me, because if you espouse to that virtue of tolerance, are you so tolerant of the one you are so critical of? What does Jesus say? If you wish to enter the kingdom of heaven, love your neighbor as yourself and pray for them. Do you pray for your enemy? Do you pray for that person you struggle with the most? Amen.